This is the Metaphysical Connection, Paranormal News of the Week for November 3rd, 2018. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. How was your uh, How was your Halloween? The thing is, is that my kids went trick or treating last night for the last time in their lives. I think. Uh, oh, really? Last night, and they went without me, and I was kind of like. <laughs> I'll be okay. I I'll just stay home and hand out all this candy to other people's children. <laughs> And of course, my oldest tumble was like, "No, Dad, it's okay. We'll we'll give you all the candy we don't like." <laughs> <laughs> why the uh, why the last time in their lives? Um, the thing is, is that the youngest is fourteen, mm-hmm. and I think that they passed a, a a rule or a town ordinance or something that you can't do it after the age of fourteen. Because they would much rather have you out partying and doing vandalism and stuff on Halloween than actually pretending that you're still a child. Yeah, that makes sense. That does, doesn't it? <laughs> that makes perfect sense. And then they're going to complain about it. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't these kids have anything better to do? Right? So, anyway, I, 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 I love how kids... I get free candy, and then they're all snobs about the candy that they get that they don't like. Like, <laughs> it's free candy. I know, right? Oh my god! I, so yeah, we um, what we do on Halloween is we have this nine foot tall inflatable dragon, this black dragon, and it just looks cool as hell, right? And um, my, my ex-wife bought it like three years ago. Right. And it is probably the one thing in the house I hope she doesn't take with her when she finally gets her own place. Yeah. <laughs> so what we do is we set that up and then we have a table that we set up and we put out, um, we get the little like eight ounce cans of soda. Yeah. And we get some candy and we have some uh, some hot mold apple cider that we make. So we've been doing this for a few years. And uh, it's funny because when the kids come up, we always tell them you can have soda or candy, not both. And that lasts until like the last half hour. Right. And then if you still have both, you're like, take some of each. You know what I mean? Yep. And uh, so last night I was out there and I kind of dialed in my costume. I'll be completely honest. I figured, well, it's dark outside. No one's going to be able to see me much anyway. So I just threw on right. one of the cloaks right. that I have. Sometimes I think my closet is a little like Lando Calrissian's from, from Solo. <laughs> you have all these capes. capes and cloaks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just threw on this cloak and I have a, a staff that I have, you know, leather and stuff wrapped around it, little tidbits, tidbits of stuff wrapped yeah. around it. So it looks like a, a wizard staff. So I just threw that on. I'm wearing like jeans and a t-shirt underneath right, it. Right, right. So apparently my everyday is a, is a Halloween costume. Uh, it, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. Right, so oh. d- d- different different eras, but yeah. yeah, same thing. Yeah, and uh, so last night this little girl came up with her family, and then like yeah. half hour later she came up with like I think it was all of her cousins or something like that. And as she's walking up, my daughter hears her say, "This is the best house." <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah. My mission was accomplished last night. So real happy. We live right next to a housing development that wouldn't exist if it wasn't for our house. Our house was sort of like the the test house, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we don't have a lot of kids coming to our house. And we just this year we just said to hell with it. We turned off all the lights. Um, because I'm in the middle of doing some construction outside, making a new chicken hutch, and I got power cables everywhere. I got plywood um, leaning up against this banister and that banister. It would, j- and I, you just know it's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. And I just said I'm turning off all the lights and just keeping it cool, keeping it low key. Um, and it was, it's, it's kind of sad, really. Because, I mean, for me, it feels as if Halloween, it comes within, you know, the, the haunting season. It, mm-hmm. It's because th- you have the, a couple of weeks before Halloween getting ready for Halloween. And then mm-hmm. all the great scary movies are released the week of Halloween. And you don't get a chance to see them until like a week or two after they've been released. So I feel like this is it. It's still Halloween season. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, no, no, it does. It does. I mean, it's maybe it's just me. I'm a little um, I tend to think of things a little differently. I yeah. think. But um, for me, the Halloween season is just it's all about fun. And right. in typical in typical J fashion, um, I put a lot of work and preparation into everything. So like an hour before the trick-or-treaters came out, I went and bought candy yep. and soda and decided what my costume was going to be. You know, 60 minutes is enough to plan all this stuff. So <laughs> we go out, we grab all that stuff and, and set it all up. And like people are literally starting the trick-or-treat. Now, the rule is in our town anyway, is that trick-or-treating supposed to officially start at 6.30, but some people go out earlier than that. So I'm like still plugging in and the dragon's like inflating and stuff and trick-or-treaters are walking up and I'm like, yeah. So, well, we did have a local police officer was driving through the town, you know? So um, I flagged him down and I said, hey, I've got some warm apple cider or some soda if you want some. And he was like, no, I appreciate it. And as he drove away, my daughter said, you know, I bet we made the cops night. And I'm yeah. like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm sure they get offered a lot of things. She's like, how many times do you think that cop's going to have people come up to him and say, I can't find my kid? Exactly. You know, and it's those little things like that that kind of wake you up. For example, Halloween night is the worst night for um, ER visits. Yes, they are. Yeah. You know, people are constantly showing up. And I can, you know, there's a there's the the part of me that like laughs at everything that thinks, okay, I can just imagine how hard it is for the ER on a Halloween night. Some guy shows up with, you know, he's got a limp and he's got a, an ax ingrained in his, ingrained in his head. And they're like, okay, which one's fake? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's Halloween. So you get people that go all out with it. You know, speaking of going, speaking of going all out. Hey, Mm -hmm. listen, listen, Carol, I'm talking about you right now. Okay. The greatest Halloween of my life is when Carol took two or three days to make matching Jedi outfits for everybody in the family. And we all went out as a family of Jedis, which was, it was, it was, 
So to this day, Carol, that's the greatest Halloween I've ever had. I know. We used those a couple years in a row. We actually used those. In a, and the thing is, is that the Jedi robe that she made for me was so uh-huh. comfortable. I like wore it as a bathrobe, like the entire winter to the point where Carol had said, look, I know you love me. I know you think I did a great job, but either throw it out or wash it. One or the other. <laughs> Uh, oh, it's awesome. Which was a great costume for the worst Halloween I ever had. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, did you, so did you get yeah, this? You know, just so you know, when the clothes start walking themselves towards you in the morning to say, put me on. Yeah. That's probably in need of a, of a wash or You two. need to kill just, it before it develops. a reminder. Language. Yeah. You need to kill it before it develops language skills. Anyway, you got the show notes. Yes. And these are all stories that we have put on the Metaphysical Connection group on Facebook. So if you're a member of our Facebook group, then you pretty much know what we're going to be talking about this week. The first topic I think we're going to hit, because this this is going to sort of cascade and have, we're going to be referring to this throughout the rest of the show, I think. Right off the top here, rage makes you stupid. And we're going to also talk about how the upcoming midterm elections here on the local level might have an effect on this website and our network of, of podcasts in general. I'm sure that you've read the, the news items about these studies that psychiatrists and psychologists have done, and with the help of some sociologists, I guess, talking about how rage makes you stupid. And one of the big, one of the biggest news stories from last week is the mega bomber with this guy who allegedly is a Trump supporter had sent off these 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 packages with these with these bombs to these predominant Democrats and critics of Donald Trump. And I'm up, I'm a little sad and I'm upset because I didn't get one either. But <laughs> I, I've been a, I've been a critic of Trump and I didn't get a package. I got to step up my game. I know, right? And oh my God. Uh, and this is we read this news story. It came across my desk um, on just right around the time that this news item about this bomber. Um. One proved the other. Yeah. One, this is an example of how rage makes you stupid. And you read the story and it talks about how when your adrenaline is pumping and you and 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 you're and you're getting agitated, uh, you can't think straight. It's, you mm-hmm. are in flight or fight mode in the political arena and you say and do things that you would never say under normal right. circumstances. Now, these circumstances aren't normal anymore. Right. And like for me, training in the military, part of it is dealing, learning how to deal with that adrenaline surge in a productive manner. Right. So like in boot camp, for example, boot camp is all about pushing you to the limit. That's that's the entire point of boot camp is pushing you to the limit. They found in World War Two that they were taking people and they sometimes were getting training, sometimes they weren't. And like, I guess the most famous case would be the easy company people, Tacoa, right? People that were trained in Tacoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I forgot the the gentleman's name, but I believe he was lieutenant and our first lieutenant, and uh, he trained them. And all of the people that were trained by him actually did much, much better in high stress situations. They were more reliable, all this other kind of stuff as a result of the really, frankly, tough training that he put them through. Right. Yep. And historically speaking, that and there's other instances are what inspired them to really create boot camp. Prior to that, boot camp wasn't really the boot camp that we think of. Um, you know, what you see in the Captain America movie, frankly, did not happen very often at all. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. People were given some training, but it was mostly dealing with this is how you shoot, this is how you wear the uniform, and this is basically how you behave when you're in the military. Um, boot camp, as we understand it, had its roots from the most successful training efforts, but each one was very dependent upon the person that trained them. And the person that trained them was supposed to be the person who then led them in combat situations. It didn't always happen that way. Yeah. So dealing with the adrenaline surge and doing the right thing or doing the thing that makes the most logical sense while you're in that fight or flight mode has to do a lot with boot camp. Right. You know, because let's face it, when the bullets are flying, you're, if you're in fight or flight mode, you're either going to be shooting back or you're going to be running away. Running away yeah. is obviously the wrong thing to do. Right. But sometimes shooting back is not the right thing to do either. It's the right on thing. Purpose. Running away is the right thing to do if you want to get shot in the back. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. Right. And sometimes with a retreat is the right thing to do, but that's not the same thing. Yeah. As yeah as running away there's there's a decided difference a retreat is a strategic thing that is done it's done a particular manner in combat now i wasn't trained for any of that i was trained in the coast guard the way we retreat is we have the boat back up so you know we there's not a whole lot of of individuals running back and forth in in the coast guard the boats frankly are not that large so um but at the same time when you have a fight or flight situation and you're in combat and you're on a boat, you really need to be thinking clearly. And the people that need to be thinking the most clear are the ones who are in charge. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's any real secret that in the, in, in the military, whether it's the army, the Marines, the Navy, Air Force or Coast Guard, you have junior officers and they are nominally in charge. What they're really doing is they're learning how to lead from the NCOs that report to them, right? So like in the Coast Guard's um, command structure, for example, that would be the chiefs. The chiefs are really teaching the JOs how to lead, how to make the right decision, especially when under pressure. And I distinctly remember we would do these, these drills where we're in combat. Now I'm on the radar control console for the guns, the big guns. So I'm controlling the guns. I have, I can see what's coming in. Um, I know, you know, where everything is out there because that's what the radar does. It gives me that picture. And for me at that point, it's basically like a giant video game, right? Mm -hmm. But what has to happen is what they call command control. So I don't have, I can shoot at something only if it's an immediate threat to the ship and there's not enough time for command control. Like if there is a missile inbound coming at right, Mach 2, right. I can shoot it out of the sky because it's gonna take too long for me to make the report, 
for the command to come back and for me to shoot for it to safely eliminate that threat. But everything else it has to go through that command control. I have to report, hey, I see a contact, it's over here, and I report it up to command. Now command is supposed to know who all of those dots are. I know where everything is, but they, they know who the people are. So if they know, okay, there should be off of our port side and behind us, there should be someone from say the Navy, for example, the US Navy or the Australian Navy or whatever. So all I know is there's a surface contact out there. I reported up the cam- command and command comes back and acknowledges it. That way they know that that's that person. And then all I do is I just kind of keep track of everybody. Okay, so they know about this one, this one, this one, this one. They don't know about that one kind of a thing. And then when the fire command to fire comes in, they have to give that command. And we regularly ran scenarios where that was being pushed. And we would run different scenarios where sometimes we would have friendly fighters coming in. And they weren't coming directly at the ship, but they were coming towards the ship. And we were not supposed to shoot them down. And that was to exercise that command control because anyone that's flying at over Mach 2 or anyone that's flying over a certain speed, like just under Mach, probably is not a friendly if they're coming at us because combat does not take place at those high speeds. There's just no way for people to actually respond to it when they're flying. So if it's coming at us and it's over a Mach, it's either someone that's going to overshoot us or something that's going to try and hit us and we need to shoot it down. So there was a lot of training to deal with that. Now, the problem with that comes in is that it's a different kind of adrenaline surge than when you're talking politics. I can't tell you how many times I read something and I get ticked off. Yeah, but we all that do. Is, I think we all do, except for maybe right. my wife, except for Carol. She's she's cool as a cucumber with that kind of stuff. Well, of course, she has to put up with you all the time. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just set the, up the shots and you take them. I get it. Okay. <laughs> You know, if you wouldn't set them up and make them so easy. I know. (laughs) But the thing is, is that for me, that training, what that taught me is that sometimes you get to, you, you know what the right response is. Sometimes you don't. Yeah. Sometimes just firing off an immediate response is the right thing to do. Sometimes it's not. It depends on the situation. And it's that evaluation of that, of that situation. Yeah that split second evaluation that makes a difference between whether you're making a smart decision or you're just reacting to something. For many, many, many years, my internal mantra has been, I am going to take action, not react. Right. Because when you react, you've got, you've got a prescribed response, whether you've taught yourself that that's going to be the response or that is just your instinctive response, or you're going to take, think you're actually going to engage your brain and think about it. That actually yeah. has helped in a number of situations professionally. I mean, I worked in an op center where sometimes you have multiple systems down. You got to figure out what's going on. The faster you figure it out, the faster you get to the right resolution, the better off the whole company is because you're not losing money. So that made me a valuable asset in an op center because I was able to think clearly in spite of what was going on. There was one situation where I was the senior person in the op center and we had three outages, three things went bad all at once. And everyone basically looked to me to tell what to go, what to do. 
So I was like, okay, you do this. You're you're on this issue. I want you doing this to start off. Let me know what you find out. You, I need you to work on this. I want you to look at this and this and let me know what you find out. And I need you to look at this and find out what's going on. And then I just balanced between the three different situations, had them yeah. all resolved in less than 15 minutes and none of them needed to be escalated. There was three people in the room who were working on something else and when the last thing was resolved, they literally stand up and gave me a standing ovation. Yeah. Because they were the people that would have been escalated to if any of those systems were in genuine problem. You know, so they don't want to get disturbed during their day unless it's something that's a genuine emergency. And yeah. it certainly looked like that when all of a sudden we had a bunch of things going red. One of the problems was a network outage. When you have a network outage at an op center, you have an entire group of systems that are down. But we got everything resolved in less than 15 minutes because I didn't lose my head. I was able to think clearly and logic it through. Okay, what does this mean? What does that mean? Kind of a thing. So I'm not saying this to brag. I'm just saying that in most cases, people are going to react and they're not going to be thinking when they react. And that's where people get in trouble. That's where we find out about the cover up then is worse than the actual crime itself. Because, yeah, because they're not people panic. thinking clearly. They're people, reacting. Right. Exactly. One of the things that it's like I wanted to mention is that I thought I was having a rational conversation last Friday. And I said, we need to be careful who we're voting for because the midterm elections and everybody is all wound, tightly wound. And one of the things I've noticed since I started following politics maybe even going back as far as Jimmy Carter, is the entire notion is that this guy is a bad dude. This guy is the Antichrist. And we got to do everything we can. Everybody needs to vote. The, the, the Whoever is not in power, the party that's not in power, we got to vote that pow people out, no matter who they are. Every This midterm election, the, the president has to lose support in the House and the Senate. Absolutely. And then Reagan is elected and then Reagan is the Antichrist and everybody has to, yeah. you know, vote him out, vote, you know, make sure that he does not have a majority in the in the in, in the Senate and the Congress. And then after. Oh, no, no, it's it's George Bush and George Bush is is the Antichrist and he's he's the devil. And we have to make sure that, you know, the House is in the Senate is flipped and he doesn't have a majority. And then it's Clinton. Clinton is the Antichrist and he's this horrible guy during the midterm election. You know, with the help of Newt Gingrich, we have to flip the House and the Senate so that, you know, um, there's an adversarial role against the president. And then and then, no, it's George W. Bush. He's the Antichrist. And we have to flip it because we don't want and every every time that there's a every midterm election, there's this giant push to flip the House so that the House and the Senate does not have, you know, as many allies. And it's, yeah. and it's always in its, in its crisis mode. The midterm election is always crisis mode for the party that's not in power. And, right. and, and at some point, it's like it's, the, it's a political pundit who cried wolf. And at some point, well, at I, the same time, though, I yeah. mean, think about it. When did we get the best decisions out of both Reagan and Clinton and even Obama and Bush? Pick your Bush, whichever Bush you want to pick. <laughs> you know, the elderberry or the or, or the blueberry, either one. Yeah. You know. The it's, truth is, is the best policies came out of both when they had an adversarial Congress. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what party you're at. If 
you have the president from one party and a Congress from another party, generally speaking, that's when you're going to get the best decisions. You're also going to get some really horrible ones. Yeah, example, and that's the, that's the other thing. And that's the, right. that's the point that I was, right. going, I was going to get to. Is, oh, yeah. I'm is, sorry. Go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt. Is Go the notion it. of is that we're in this big, huge push for either a red wave or a blue wave. And you have these people who are demanding that you vote for the party. And doesn't matter who gets in. They could be the worst examples of human beings that you could possibly imagine and they sweep into office by riding these waves and then you wonder a couple of years later when they vote for these just these dumb things that make no sense to working and middle-class americans and it's like how did this person get into office in the first place well he rode the wave in that's what happened yeah. and i said those waves are dangerous and i said we should stop and look at the people who we're voting for. And maybe this is the time when we start seriously consider voting third party because these two political machines, it's not working. And I was vilified for that. I was vilified for, by Facebook friends for, quote, not helping. Well, who do, yeah, and throwing away your vote. And throwing away my vote. Now, if I'm looking at two candidates that I think that are reprehensible, horrible people, I would never leave my wife and kids alone with these two candidates. But I'm looking at a third candidate here, a third party candidate who he has a he has a great record, but he used to be a member of this party. But now he's a member of the non-party party. And I'm listening to what he says. And he makes more sense that these other two people but I'm supposed to vote for the lesser of two evils for reasons. And I said, yeah. we need to like not look at the party, not look at the trend. And because of yeah. rage, people said things that you wouldn't even imagine people saying that to my face because they have <laughs> the shield of the Internet and, and distance between the two of us. Yeah. And it was like and, and I said, there's a candidate on the ballot who is probably she's a she's a liar and she's a hypocrite she says one thing and she does another well no she wanted the state and the town to seize private property land and turn it over to a corporation we don't even really know who this corporation is so we can we can build you know another office park and we can build um housing and we can build another strip mall we already have vacancies in strip malls we don't need any more yeah. vacant strip mall locations and yeah. everything that she says and does with us with except with the exception of of talking about renewable energy she sounds exactly just like a republican and the yeah. thing is is like if you knew what this if democrats knew what she was all about and what she had said in the past you wouldn't vote for her, but because there's a blue wave coming, you're going to kick a man out of office who's done a great job for this town and for the state and has done everything that he could to keep everything fair and equitable here in our, in, in our town, in our country, in our county. You're going to kick him out for somebody who's a moon bat. Yeah. Well, the, the thing is, too, is, I mean... We don't when we look at our politicians, the vast majority of us really don't look too closely. 
you know, especially when it's, it's about momentum and all this other kind of stuff, you're really not paying as close attention as you probably should. And it gets scary during these midterm elections because if you vote in a senator during a midterm election, you're probably going to be living with that senator for the next 25, 30 years. Yes. Probably are. Right. And if it's someone in the House, you're probably going to be living with them for at least maybe 18, maybe up to 25 years. Right. Right. Because of retention. Once you get into office, you are you have an incredibly high retention rate, incredibly high. Now, that is less in the past, uh, I want to say, 12 years, the tail end of the Bush era and throughout Obama, that the the resiliency of incumbents has started to weaken. Right. They're not as guaranteed. It used to be that if someone was in the House, they had an almost 80% retention rate. And if they're in the Senate, they had over 80% retention rate. I mean, and I come from the state of John frickin' Do-Nothing Kerry and Teddy Kennedy. Right. Teddy Kennedy, he had to die in office because no one was ever going to not vote him in office. You're not going to not vote for... Yeah, for Kennedy. You're not, if you're in Massachusetts, people, Kennedys are guaranteed to get voted in, yeah. regardless of what their policies are. Teddy Kennedy could have decided that at some point he was a Republican and he still would have been in office for the rest of his life. Right. You know? You're not, because the thing is, in the state of that Massachusetts, you're not going to vote for the brother of John Kennedy, who was assassinated, and yeah. it was the end and the death of Camelot. That's not going to happen. And I've heard people t- say that. The reason yeah. why that they voted for Ted time and time again is that they, they, they felt as if they were really voting for John and Bobby. That, that, right. And that's how they felt. And that's fine. I can understand that. I'm, I am somewhat Regardless of the fact that he was only like Bobby in certain ways and he was nothing like John. Absolutely not. Anyway. No. So, I mean, if you looked at the policies and everything, and I actually looked at this, it was, unfortunately, it was after Teddy died. But I did start looking at, okay, well, what's going on with the whole... I didn't I didn't like the Kennedys. Um, I would never voted for Teddy Kennedy in my life. That was just me. Right you now. Um, my dad was a huge JFK supporter and absolutely despised Teddy Kennedy. Yes. My mom loved Ted Kennedy and she was a big JFK supporter, you know, but I also knew the political leanings of my mom and my dad. And they're actually at a somewhat opposite ends of the spectrum. Not so much anymore. And that I think that grounding gave me kind of freed me a bit from being tied to just a party and looking at more of what are they saying? What are they doing? Kind of a thing. Ted Kennedy was the most active Senator in Massachusetts during my lifetime while I was there. Yep. He absolutely was. But then again, you know, the other guy that was in the Senate was, you know, grass that got mowed every once in a while. He, he didn't do anything. He really didn't. 20 plus years in the Senate, the man co-sponsored two bills. Right. That's if a, I had a job yeah. where I only did one thing every 10 years, that that, that doesn't exist in the private sector. Yeah. You, you just don't have that. You know, you do, have to so, give, you do have to give John Kerry some credit because he was on a lot of committees and he made for really great TV on C-SPAN once in a while, you know? Yeah. But you know what? Um, 
I'm trying government to be fair. Government is not an entertainment thing. Yeah. It really isn't. <laughs> you know, as much as like, oh, we no, like it to is. talk about it's, it No, it's, it's become but, entertainment. And that's the problem, I think. It has. It's become yeah. infotainment where it's just like it's a blood sport. It's, 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 it's a sport. Right. And when I first started working at um, the place where I currently work after having left it and then they bought the company, um, one of the guys I worked with, said one of our senators he's just an embarrassment and i said why he said well listen to him i said i do why do you think he's an embarrassment what's embarrassing about what he's saying and he looked at me like i had three heads and i'm like i i want to know if you disagree with him why do you disagree with him what is he saying that is so awful and he just kind of looked at me and he's like you know what i mean and i'm like actually no i don't and that was the start of a really tense kind of, I don't want to say relationship because he and I got along personally, we got along fine. But in the office, anytime someone brought up politics, I always challenged them. I never contradicted them. I just wanted to know why they voted the way they voted. Yeah, me too. Me too. And yeah, I mean, that's how you and I became friends for crying out loud. Right. And um, it was just one of those things where I became the guy that if I walked into the room, people stopped talking about politics, you know, and someone finally asked me and he was like, um, you know, people don't like talking politics around here. No, every time you walk in the room, politics, the talk on politics changes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's because I don't, I don't follow the status quo. And he's like, well, what do you mean by that? And he's like, I, you know, do you vote Democrat? Cause my area is heavily Republican. And I said, no, I don't vote Democrat. He's like, do you vote Republican? I'm said, no, I don't vote Republican. He goes, I like you. You know what? I, I think we were having a conversation about Bob Dole. And I said, yes, I can't, I can't vote for Bob Dole. If Bob yeah. Dole had his way in the 1960s, we, the, he, NASA would have been shuttered. I can't vote for somebody who would have ended NASA because, you know, if, it, it, if Bob Dole had his way, um, we never would have landed on the moon. And maybe the Russians yeah. could would have run won the the moon race, and I can't I can't vote for that. And the and the and the whole notion of well, it's Bob Dole's turn. Bob Dole needs to become president because right. he's no, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't. You, 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 the best person should be elected, regardless of how how they paid their dues or it's their turn. Whenever somebody says it's so and so's turn, I'm not voting for that person. You want to guarantee me not voting for somebody? Tell me it's that person's turn. It's a blank's turn. Yeah. No, it's not. So. Yeah, and that was that was actually something. For me, it was the whole, it's Bob Dole's turn. That was yeah. what turned me off because I didn't know that he voted against NASA until you told me. Yeah, he tried but to shut it me, down a couple just, of times. That, yeah. Who are you, what do you mean it's his turn? Someone hangs around long enough in, in the Senate and now they deserve to be president. Right. Since when does that make any sense right. whatsoever? Because the problem that I had, and I remember you and I actually having this discussion, yep. is the concept that people in Congress are leaders. People in Congress are not leaders. Right. If you're in the House or the Senate, you're not a leader. Everyone in office thinks they are. But the truth of the matter is... The people in office are servants. They serve the will of the people they represent. They are our representatives. Right. They are not our leaders. They're not leading yeah. us anywhere. They are doing what we what we are voting for them because we're gonna they are we believe they're going to do what we think is in our best interest. Right. 
And that is that whole relationship. And the, and the media is complicit in this too. And okay. The whole idea to me of how people and the media think of our elected representatives, I think is completely backwards. They are not our leaders. They yeah. are not in charge of anything. What they are is a debate club that we have elected to represent our ideals. They don't lead us. They don't tell us how to think. We tell them, you do what we want or we vote your ass out of office yep. and you have to look for a real yep. freaking job. And that, I want to say, I want to say was maybe during the backlash of the 60s, you know, the, the, the mid to late 70s is when everyone started thinking of that differently. And I remember um, when John McCain first ran for office against uh, George W. Bush, one of the things he said is every every representative looks in the mirror and sees a senator. Every senator looks in the mirror and sees a president. Yeah. That's not right. No. I completely disagree with that. That is just, <clears throat> excuse me, that is just not, not the way I want anyone that I elect into the House of Representatives or the, or the Senate to think of themselves. I want them to look in the mirror and say, I am the tool of the people that elected me. Yeah. You know, I am here to do the best for them. And Part of that is when they changed how senators are elected, because the way our, if you read the Constitution, the way things are supposed to work is that we elect the representatives in the House to represent us. And then the government of the state elects who the senator is to represent the interests of the state. Yeah. Right now, we have them both being elected by to represent the people. That's not how the government's supposed to work. It really isn't. And if you think of it the way it's originally represented, the state has different interests than the people do. And that's why it's supposed to be done that way. The state is is to their representative is supposed to is supposed to be a check on the growing power of the federal government. So they're supposed to do things that are to limit the power of the government, whereas the House of Representatives is supposed to be the voice of the people in government where we say, hey, look, we want to see these changes. And then between the House and the Senate, they decide how to make those changes and then how to apply them without violating the Constitution. And the Supreme Court is supposed yeah. to look at the at those laws that are passed and say, OK, this is not violating the Constitution or this is violating the Constitution. That's the way our government is supposed to work. It's supposed to. The Supreme it Court, doesn't, though. We, yeah. We've changed that when yeah. when senators became elected by the populace that changed all of that yeah and i personally think we should go back to that we because the state has different interests there's hopefully they align if people are voting properly they align with the interests of the people but the senate is supposed to be the the check on the growth of government and only grow as the states allow it to grow yeah, but now I, it's all the will of the people. Now I am it is I, all of the will yeah. of the people. I'm a, I, I am a little worried that we are sort of getting off of the metaphysical um, paranormal. Well, we are, but then when this. you when you realize that you know part of this rage is being driven by the fact that you know the the concept of certain ideas like the deep state or you know yeah. for example like the FBI right FBI and Monsanto. Are, or the FDA, excuse me, and Monsanto. Right. You know, the FDA is pretty much owned by Monsanto and a few other companies. Yeah. 
It is. It really is. Because all they do is they donate to the right people and bam. I do think that before that we move on to the to the second topic here, I do think that there is something evil and nefarious that's going on in the realm of politics. And I do think that there is sort of like I'm not saying that they're controlling our minds with microwaves. And I'm not saying that they're, you know, satellites and the GPS um, signals are brainwashing us. But I think that there is some brainwashing going on within the media with the sensationalism and news and the way that they have, you know, um, advertising executives and and people who write commercials and how to convince you that, you know, like choosy mothers choose Jif. They're using that sort of same advertising tactics to get you to try and switch from Coke to Pepsi to switch from one party to the other. And I do think that there's not a there's not a lot of truth out there. There's not a lot of people who are actually talking about the issues. Speaking about an issue that you had mentioned, um, I want to do a shout out to Kathy Gibson because she's a sweetheart. She's a darling. Um, She had brought up. this topic that I think it's important for us to talk about, and it is about the FDA Monsanto conspiracy. I'm going to read the headline here and tell me if this doesn't scare you. Glycophosphates in food, complete list of products and brands filled with popular cancer-causing weed killer. We, and you'll notice that they, doesn't, they, they won't tell you the actual name of the weed killer because they're afraid of being uh, sued by Monsanto. And yeah. and the thing is, is that there's a lot of, um, you know, breakfast with a dose of Roundup weed killer in uh, $289 million cancer verdict found in found in oat cereal granola bars. It's a it, that's a clunky headline. I have to admit yeah. this. And it, this is a headline written by uh, Alexis Temkin, Ph.D. toxicologist is one of the stories that we have linked to in on the this is the uh para news for um uh for november we're recording this on november 1st and we have a couple of articles that we think are important and the thing is is that yes it's important for us to talk about the poisons that are actually in our kids foods it's important to talk about that. I have said See, the, for, I've the said next for, headline yeah. is the one that I like the most. Roundup for breakfast, part two. Yeah. A new test weed killer found in all kids cereals sampled. All. All, all, all of the ones that they sampled. All of them. And the thing is, them. is it we were called crazy because we had said that we found these reports and we found these studies that said that these products cause cancer. And the FDA has been covering it up. And people said, well, that's a crazy conspiracy theory. The government would never do anything like that. Government is not that evil. Government, the government would not be conspiring with a corporation to cover something like that up. The, the, the FDA would put an end to that the minute that they find, found out that that's the case. And yeah. we were called crazy for saying this. Here's yeah. here here are these documentaries where these where these doctors have coming out and saying we're we're linking cancer to additives, preservatives, artificial flavors and colors and pesticides and, and, and weed killers. We are called crazy. Now you have this settlement, this judgment against Monsanto 
that says, yes, your your product is causing cancer. And the reason why that they were punished for $289 million is not just because of the damage that they did, but because of the cover-up and how they conspired with former employees who now work for the government. Now, yeah. like Clarence Thomas is a fine example of a former Monsanto executive who's now a judge on the Supreme Court. And he's not right. the only one. He's just the one that I can think of right at the moment. How does that not piss you off? And look at the fact that the government conspired with a corporation to keep this quiet for a whole handful of reasons. Uh, profits that and profits that equal campaign contributions. Why are you not pissed about that? I don't understand. And that... The thing is, is this what makes it conspiracy is that cover up element to it right now with um, Clarence Thomas being on the Supreme Court. There's a part of you that asks, how does one go from an executive to a Supreme Court justice? Don't aren't Supreme Court justices? Don't they have a legal thing? Well, he came from their legal department and he worked for them for years. And, you know, there's there's all of that. The thing that really kind of bothers me about all this is that. This actually fits the definition of a conspiracy and it's being proven right before our eyes and people are just discounting it because they don't want to, you know, um, when they have 28 samples, they detect this cancer causing glyphosate glyphosate in 20, all 28 of them. And only two of them are not above the health benchmark. In other words, they don't have too many of those glyphosates in you know there how many parts per billion it is that's only two out of 28 that's that's a lot that are over what we consider to be a health risk so why isn't this being reported why is there an independent lab that is finding this out when we have the fda who is so intrusive that i mean the fda is the reason why there's a lot of um, cancer treatments and stuff like that that we don't have in this country is because the FDA takes so long to pass all these things. And the excuse they use is, well, we have to do periodic testing on all, all of the products that people consume, whether it's a medicine or food or anything else. Well, then why haven't you guys found this crap out? You know? So I don't know, man. Uh, so anyway, we're moving on from uh, the conspiracy theory between the FDA and Monsanto. And uh, no, because the thing is, is that the, I think the last it's thing I, I can. Huh? It's not a theory. It's not a theory. The conspiracy <laughs> fact. What else are they lying about? Because now we know they're lying. We know for a exactly. fact now that they're lying. So... um. How long is it going to take for us to figure out what else they're lying about? And you can't, you cannot trust the media to do their due diligence and follow up on news stories. And here's the other thing. We've seen the documentaries that are now 10, 15 years old that has said this product causes cancer. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, it doesn't. No, it does not. It's good for the environment. It's good for your phone. Yeah. And it wasn't that many decades ago when they when doctors were recommending that you smoke regularly. Oh, exactly, because it soothes your T-zone. 
Uh-huh. I've been looking all over the anatomy charts, and I can't find my T-zone anywhere. Um, according to my daughter, it's um, the part of your face that's your nose and forehead. Sure. I'm not sure if it's that's the same T-zone or not, but... Okay. You know, it may have something to do with the O face. I just, you know, whatever. <laughs> this is the real reason why people tune in to hear us make, <laughs> to make double entendres. Double and <laughs> oh, so we co- so we covered the weed killer in <laughs> in breakfast cereal. So yep. we wanted to uh, do some follow ups on some past shows and talk about some news items that are just too ridiculous even for us. Uh, A woman in love with a ghost wants to get pregnant with a ghost baby. (laughs) Amethyst Realm, that's her name. When you sent me the link to this, I was like, okay, this is like going to the onion or something. But no, no, it's not. Not only is it not on the onion, but it's on more than one site. Yes. It's, it's, just oh my gosh really seriously that's amethyst realm claims that she is dating a ghost although this is not her first time she has dated 15 ghosts in the past but finally she met her mr perfect majority of humans (sighs) fail i mean first of all can we just talk about the name amethyst realm for a second okay i mean that sounds like something that you read in in a fantasy novel somewhere they're traveling to the amethyst realm (laughs) to find the secret of the topaz throne you know what i mean that's not something that people name their children not normal people anyway (laughs) how long were you practicing that (laughs) i'm sorry that was off the top of my head but (laughs) the thing that bothers me about this is why is it woman falls in love with ghost and wants to get pregnant with ghost baby? How come it's never someone named like Sue Johnson or something like that? You know, it's always amethyst realm or rain moon child or, you yes. know, oh my gosh, there's a certain mentality I think at work here. Uh, Cause the thing is, is that one of the criticisms that, that we have is that uh, people are under the mistaken impression that we believe everything in the realm of the paranormal. We, because we, we don't, we, there are some yeah. things that I, I, I can't believe this story. Now I believe she believes this. Yes. Without yes. a doubt. Now, So let me, let me walk the razor edge here. Sure. Sure. I believe she believes this. I yes. believe there are ghosts. Yes. I believe ghosts can interact with the physical world in a limited capacity right however do i think she's actually been in relationships with ghosts i don't think so because that's not the way ghosts work you know as as my understanding and from my experiences with ghosts that is not how ghosts work um getting pregnant yeah good good luck with that Uh, let me know how that works out for you yeah because dang because because the one of the things that we have the hardest time differentiating between the kooks and the unexplained that we believe but it it doesn't pass the reality muster for a lot of people perfect example uh dr john mack harvard professor did various studies on the abduction phenomenon and the more that he looked into this the more he realized there is something to this 
there is some something in air quotes going on. What is it? And the more that he talked to people and the more that, he, you know, he did his research, he, he kind of came to the conclusion that we're, we're talking about something that defies science as as we know it. And we know that there are dozens of people, if not hundreds of people who say that they have witnessed programs of alien human hybrids yeah now i i believe that to some extent i believe that i don't believe all the stories about alien human hybrids and abductions are right, true right tomorrow and, and yeah. let's be completely honest statistically speaking and scientifically speaking which is more likely to happen aliens come down here and screw with people for some reason they're fascinated with our assholes for some reason right um and when I say that, I mean, not only our physical assholes, but like the people they choose are tend to be assholes. Yeah. But also ghosts. Yeah. Screwing around with people. I mean, I have I have seen scratches appear on walls right. and doors. I have seen people get scratches underneath their clothes. I've seen that kind of interaction with a ghost. I have yet to see anyone suddenly get a money shot on their face when they're in a haunted house. You know what I'm saying? It's one of the and, reasons why you're, you know, the new co-host, because you've had these experiences. You've seen things in these haunted locations in yeah. the area where you live, not just Massachusetts, but the state where you are in now. And the thing yeah. is, is that you and I have both seen things in the realm of hauntings we're believers but this mm -hmm. is a story that i don't think passes muster and but here's the thing do we have the right or the responsibility to call bs on this and joke about it i think that's, I, I, that's first half, of all that's half i think the reason we do why have the right the and show. responsibility to joke about it yeah um i think you know if we can't make a joke about something then there's something seriously wrong yeah you know um then again, I'm the guy who the first time someone asked me what I thought about Columbine, it was within an hour after the shooting. And my first comment was, who taught these kids how to shoot? They should have had a much higher kill count. Right. But, I mean, joking to prove a point is one thing, and I think it's valid. I think right. that's something that's even necessary for us to deal with things. But I want to know how did she, how has she dated these 15 ghosts is it because she's having conversations with them because you know there are some people who take medicine to stop those voices exactly kind of now is it okay for us to say she needs professional psychiatric help i don't know because then again why am i saying that am i saying that because she believes she's had a relationship with a ghost or am i saying that because i believe she's having auditory hallucinations yeah there's a fine line between the two because people could say the same thing about either you or I based oh, absolutely. on the experiences we've had. So there's a line there. But I do think that to maintain some kind of credibility, I think you do have to point at some news stories and say, I, I don't believe this yet. And I think that yeah. it, I think that there's a there should be paranormal researchers who are reaching out to this young woman and say, we'd like to be able to see if there's anything about your story that we can prove whether or not it's true or not. This is another story that I think is it's un, it's unusual. Our buddy Doug Palumbo had said that this this story smells of BS and not just because it's a cattle farm. 
uh, and this is this story was first on Ranker that I could find. Arizona man sells his five million dollar ranch because of constant violent alien attacks from Rebecca High. Uh, a gorgeous ranch in Buckeye, Arizona, is on the market for five million dollars because the owner, John Edmond, claims. He experiences constant persistent alien tax on his property. The video uh, uh, dives into the details of the mysterious, quote, alien ranch, unquote, and why Edmund thinks it's a hotbed for extraterrestrial activity. Edmonds and his wife moved to the ranch 20 years ago, and they have experienced alien interactions ever since. He claims, this is the funny part, he claims he's killed 18 greys, as he refers to alleged aliens on his ranch with a samurai sword. He also says his wife has survived an attempt of alien kidnapping. There's a video attached to this. you got to go to Ranker to watch the video. We're, we're not going to host it on our... Yeah. And, oh, and by the way, the video states that the ranch is valued at $6.5 million, but it's actually valued at only... Uh, $873,000 with a $5 million asking price. This is right. another story, whereas everybody who has listened to the Metaphysical Connection a couple of times knows about the, the, um, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch, which I guess is mm-hmm. a couple of miles away from Buckeye, Arizona. And well, we're tr- more than a couple. And we're trying to get one of, uh, Ryan Skinner, who wrote, I think, is one of the definitive books on, on Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, get him on the show and talk more about what is what, what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch. Why is this a hotbed for paranormal activity? And if you if this guy, John Edmonds, would like to come on the show and tell us what he's experienced, he's more than welcome to. But this is a case where I have to look at this and I said, you had me until you mentioned the samurai sword. Well, first of all, there's that. Second of all, the name of the ranch is the Stardust Ranch. So um, it is kind of, I don't want to say ironic because it's not really ironic, but it's it's axiomatic that if you have a place that is a hotbed of paranormal activity, that means the asking price can go up for the right buyer. Right. So if he's got property valued at less than a million dollars and he's upping the price by a factor of five, then there is very likely that considering the name that he is trying to drum up something for financial gain. Yeah. So we can't eliminate that as a possibility. And if he were to come on as a guest, that would be, I think, a fair question to ask him. You know, how do you respond to people who make that allegation? On the other hand, if his wife really has survived an attempted alien kidnapping, he's going to need a lot of money to pay for that psychological impact because, yeah. dang, you know. Um, if it actually again, happened, with the though. Attacking you, I'm sorry, if you're on a ranch in Arizona and you think you see something, do you grab a gun or do you grab your sword? I don't know, man. That's a tough call. Me? I grab my freaking gun. I know. That's what that's what there is to it. You know what I mean? So why would you kill not one, not two, but 18 aliens from a scientifically advanced civilization with a sword 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially considering chances are his samurai sword is probably like my katana, which is it's a showpiece. It's something that looks pretty and you hang it on the right. wall. Right. You know, it's not really intended for beating things with. So I don't know. That part of it, like you said, just kind of yeah, you had me until then, you know. Yeah. But I'm, I would. I just don't see many ranchers ranchers running around with with swords of any kind. I wish that we had the funds to go out there with a camera crew, some recording equipment, and see if we can find any evidence of this actually happening. I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I, I'm. My interest is not peaked. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You know. Uh, I would love to go. I would love to drive down. That would be a. That would be a cool place to visit and. If for nothing else, just to see what sort of evidence yeah. he has. Yeah. Well, anyway, we're going to end the show this week on a follow up on a previous topic that um, and I've never gotten your take on this. Uh, yeah. Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, which up and disappeared without a trace uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of people. There is um there is a pilot who says that he has made a massive discovery. I'm just going to read this little bit from Express UK. Um, MH370 shock plane makes, quote, I'm sorry, pilot makes massive discovery by finding plane's engine in Cambodian jungle. A pilot claimed to have found satellite images of missing Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 engine deep inside Cambodian jungle in the latest twist of a huge aviation mystery. Ah, because the thing is, is that this is one of those news items, whereas... um, this is one of those times where it's just like, what other explanation is there? There's a lot of people who claim that they have found wreckage of this plane, you know, floating in, in, in the yeah. ocean. It turns out that it might not be. And the thing is that folks in the paranormal field are just going crazy because the thing is, is this is the one time where we actually have, quote, evidence, unquote, of a plane, a whole entire airplane being abducted out of the sky by who knows who. Um Maybe it's Amethyst's realm's boyfriend just trying to um, prove that he's he's real and he exists. I I have this is one of those things where it's like you can say I don't know. Oh, absolutely, and and me personally, the whole that Malaysian Airlines thing going down was for me was a tragedy. Yes. Right? Ever since then, it's been it's kind of built up this huge mythology surrounding it, and I don't really understand why. Um, you know, the look, some people say the location is another, it's like on the exact opposite side of the world as Bermuda triangle. It's the Malaysian devil's triangle or whatever they want to call it. Right. All right. Fine. Whatever. Um, I seem to recall that they found conclusive evidence of the plane actually in the water. Um, yeah. In the ocean. Um, as that's just a, a pure recollection of mine though. Right. Um, is it possible that he found a plane that was down there? Absolutely. Is it is it definitively 370? Uh, maybe. Yeah. Could be parts of it. You know, planes, uh, commercial airliners are, are fairly sizable. And as I recall, they did not find the entire crash. No. So it's possible that it's part of it. I'm just wondering if this is going to be another one of those things where um, – 
you know, like if you take all the pieces of the quote unquote, the pieces of the true cross that people have right. squirreled away around the world, you've got enough to make an entire freaking house. Or you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I don't know if this is going to turn into one of those sort of things. I mean, the things that bother me when people say things like that, he's like, this definitely needs to be investigated is a yeah. quote from him. I, I agree, but pretty much everyone is in, in agreement that it was a tragedy and that, yeah. you know, they went down and all hands were lost. Why does it, what is, what is the need for an expensive investigation into the jungles of Cambodia? Why is, what is there? What is the drive for that? What would that, what would that give us as people, you know? I, what's the smallest group that you could send to confirm or deny that this is a part of the Malaysian uh, flight that's lost. Um, Like, you know, what's, what's the least amount of people? Even even if it's like, you know, we take the movie trope and say you, you send a team of five people because it always seems to be a team of five people in these movies. Right. So say that's the magic number, that five is the magic number, not right. just for storyline purposes, be- because of actual genuine need. Right. Yeah. At the very least, one of them would have to be some sort of aeronautic expert. Yeah. So they would know where to look for the serial numbers on the parts that they could then yeah. ver- use to verify that this was part of that plane. Yeah. Okay. So you need at least one of them. What else is going on in that area of the world, though? I mean, what else? How dangerous is that jungle? Is it a is it a particularly nasty jungle due to, you know, political machinations yeah. that are going on in that area? Is it dangerous just because of the animal life in that area? Is it, you know, would you, you know, when are you going to send them? Unless you're going to send just a team of locals who happen to have all the areas of expertise, you've got to fly people there that gets expensive yeah you know you've got to give them a place to stay while they're there that gets expensive you got to make sure they have the right equipment that gets expensive so i don't know i just don't i don't see that there's enough of a payoff there i mean because look at it this way there's still a lot we could learn by continuing to investigate the attacks of september 11th yeah there's a lot we could learn how much of it is going to be useful and is it going to be worth the expense yeah those are the decisions that have to be made, and and thankfully by people that are not named Jason Cousineau. So I I think that this is for the sake of the family. I think somebody does have to go and see if whether or not this is the deal, whether or not there is actually the wreckage of the airplane. For the sake of the family, I know that it sounds contrived. I know it sounds cliche, but I think that they deserve to know. I also think that before we send anybody out to investigate, we need to verify this pilot's claim and we need to look at the evidence and see what look at what he's found before we spend millions of dollars to go into the jungle and see if we can find and how much would it actually cost to to do this? I, I, I have no idea. But I think yeah, I, I, I don't I either. We, I think and, we owe it to the families. Me, the one claim in the article that bothers me is that he says plane shaped object. And considering we know for a fact that they found debris that they've been able to directly link to that aircraft, yeah. it can't be the entire plane that's in the jungle because some of it landed in the freaking ocean. I don't know. 
because because the thing is is that the story just keeps changing right and that's that is where you end up with the conspiracy theory starting to to take off and this has always had that element of mythology about it and i i don't understand why are the origin of that mythology surrounding it um i think it's i think it's something that should be investigated yeah um i don't know if it's something needs to be immediately investigated you know take up a collection or something you know i mean kickstarter has a lot of great things that they're doing you know if people want to know they'll fork over the money and find out um it was 239 passengers on board that plane and for the sake of their families they deserve to know the truth yeah but the truth isn't always the best thing for them uh yeah this is yeah i i see your point I don't I think that it's like if if the family members want to take up a collection or start a GoFundMe page for an expedition to see what this is, I I wouldn't stop them. Of course, why would I stop them? Um, And I am one of those crazy people who are saying, hey, listen, if you're looking for media to go with you, I'd love to go. I'd love I'd like to I have a camera. I have some recording equipment. I'd love to go. Uh, providing, of course, that I would be welcome and not killed as soon as I cross, you know, into a, another country's border. Slight caveat. Slight caveat. You know, yeah. Kill me before I get in the jungle. Yeah, but I, I would, I would love to be on the scene and see what, what it is that they find. But I, I mean, this is we're we're three for three now when it comes to news of of uh, para, paranormal news. Um, yeah. That these are stories that I don't think. Um, really hold a lot of water for me. Um, I don't yeah. think I'm, I don't think, because um, with the woman of the ghost, I, I know that she believes that she sees ghosts. Yeah. I don't know if I actually believe her. The second one with the Arizona uh, rancher, I would love to be able to go and I'd like to see uh, some evidence of his claims. I think I need more information. Although he lost me with the idea of the samurai sword and the Malaysian flight, I'm, I I think that it was just like at what point, at what point do you give up and stop looking for an airplane uh, that's that's disappeared and and that for the realm of the paranormal, for people to think that maybe this airplane was plucked out of the sky by a flying saucer or flew into another dimension i think that that's of course that's of interest for metaphysical connection listeners um but stay tuned is the only thing i can i can say as far as these three stories are concerned i think we need more information um now in regards to the plane if if the ruins that they found in the ocean we know those to be directly linked to the plane itself if this is a full plane that's down in the jungle and they are able to conclusively tie that to it, that opens up a huge realm of possibilities yeah. in terms of like alternate dimensions, alternate timelines, the whole um, Mandela effect thing. That would be like conclusive proof yeah. of the Mandela effect. Yeah. And there's physical evidence of it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's all uh, that's all stuff that we'd have to find out yeah. later down the road. And this is to tie into conspiracy theories if there is conclusive evidence of something like the mandela effect or other dimensions would the government try and cover it up and not just our government but would would there be a consortium of say astrophysicists or whatever that would 
go out of their way to debunk it yeah. on the international level so that you end up with basically another global warming thing where you can trot out an expert who says they believe it. I can trot out and just uh, an expert with just as much credentials and just as much gravitas within their community that says, no, no, you don't, you know? So it's, yeah, I, I, I think it'd be interesting. I think it would be really, really cool, but I, I just, I don't have the money for it personally. I yeah. wish I did. Lion Air Flight JT610 uh, crashed, turned up missing. Um, and they found the wreckage within minutes. Uh, they found that pretty pretty quickly, right after it, it, it fell off the, the radar. And a lot of people are saying, how is that we were fi- able to find this uh, Lion Air, this Lion Air Flight JT610, but we still cannot find Malaysian uh, Flight MK3, yeah, MH370. Why is that? I, I, I don't, and I don't think that that's an unfair question to ask. Why is it that it's easier to find some airplanes that just crash into the ocean while it's impossible to find others? Well, all right, so there's you got to remember there's these massive currents and stuff underneath the ocean. Yep. Right. And they, and when I say massive, I mean, these are things that can move, push submarines off course kind of massive currents. All right. So a lot of them follow very, very predictable patterns. Mm -hmm. Some of them do not. Mm -hmm. And if they're at the edge of one of those currents, it could cause it, to twist and turn and end up in another current and then be pushed in a different direction than what they're expecting. There's also, I mean, if it happens to go down and a blue whale is really close by the blue whale, it might blue whale might've hit it and misdirected it. Yeah. There's, we know, we know more about the surface of the moon than we know about what's going on underneath the the waters of our oceans. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to find things underneath the waves. Yeah. It really is. Look how long people have been looking for Atlantis or crying out loud. Right. We found several other sunken cities and, and stuff, yep. but nothing that says Atlantis. <laughs> right. So, of course, we probably should be looking in some language other than English, but that's just me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so it wouldn't, it doesn't surprise me that sometimes we find things underneath the sea exactly where we expect them. And sometimes we don't. That, right. that, to me is not all that surprising right um what we still don't know to my as my understanding of this is we still don't know why it went down right that is the bigger question for me and that's where you're going to get that closure for the families by having the um by having the investigation and finding the the ruins of the plane and being able to analyze it to find out what caused it to go wrong Um, what caused it to go down. I mean, you know, 240 people don't just die in a freak accident without there being questions. Exactly. You know, and if we don't know why the plane went down, A, we can't do anything to prevent it the next time it might happen. Yeah. But what if it was, you know, something political? What if there was, you know, someone somewhere got themselves on a rocket, got themselves you know, a, a rocket propelled grenade or something like right. that and shot the freaking thing down. Well, rocket propelled, rocket propelled grenades don't generally fly that far, but you know what I mean? Yeah. If they somehow were able to take it down for political reasons and then it's, that's being covered up 
or what if you know what if it was aliens what if a freaking freak meteor just streamed out of the sky and slammed into the plane and destroyed one of the engines and there went down we don't know and it's that unknown quantity that opens up the questions for us and that's where a lot of a lot of the paranormal exists in those gray areas of well it could be this it could be that kind of a thing yeah so you know i i mean i'd like to know <laughs> i really would like to know not just about uh mh370 but right you know sasquatch and and you know especially cryptids i love cryptids but you know um there are things that i think i know and that i i complete like ghosts i there's no doubt in my mind ghosts exist none whatsoever right um we can measure certain things that indicate a presence but there's nothing conclusive that says absolutely if you were to show this evidence to some, to anyone they would say this is 100 percent proof of this that doesn't exist right and i don't think uh, per- personally until you've experienced it you're always going to be doubting yes so and and yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, the thing is, is that it was just like we love an unsolved mystery until you start realizing, wait a minute, there are people and families involved in this. Yeah, and which is why I'm hesitant to say anything more conclusive about this because I don't want to yeah. look like an ass again, <laughs> again. <laughs> so, Jay, is there anything else going on that uh, you that uh, that's heavy on your heart that you want to share with us before we sign off for the week? Uh there was there was a story that I saw. I want to say it was on the 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 page, the uh, metaphysical Facebook page. Um, the heck was it? Ah, I had accidentally closed the link. Give me a second here. Uh, let me go back to the metaphysical connection. You can edit all this rambling out. I usually do. Yeah, you probably won't. Lying bastard. I am. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, the the space radio signals. Yes, that's another F uh, follow up. Yeah, that 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 is something that you know it's it's like the the bloop, right? Yeah. Um, that is something that just fascinates me. Like we have these radio signals now. We know stars generate radio signals. We know radio signals are just part of the electromagnetic spectrum. So anything that operates in that spectrum is going to generate things in that spectrum yes okay fine we understand that but we also understand the parameters of those things um when they can't trace it back to an origin that's where it gets interesting (laughs) yeah that's and that's what this sputnik news article was talking about yeah and i just i think that's awesome they know you know hey this is this is normal space traffic we just don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, that, Jay, so that that's cool to me. Well, Jay, thanks for another great show. And uh, as always, it's 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 a pleasure. And we'll talk to you next week. All right. Um, thanks a lot, Eric. Oh, Have and by the one. way, one more thing. Just one last yep. follow up just before I forget. Um coming this week on the Metaphysical Connection, um, I have an interview with the author of the book actually part one of the author of the book deep in the the deep state in the heart of texas the texas connections to the kennedy assassination by richard bartholomew and he talks about um some something absolutely totally amazing like 
uh, like finding one of the possible cars driven by uh, some of the assassins and and the car that Lee Harvey Oswald was seen riding in, um, leaving the book depository. Uh, the, the suppository. The, right, the, right. The book suppository. The, the, the book <laughs> depository. There we go. There goes, there shows you this, yes. Uh, Richard Bartholomew talks about actually finding the car that Lee Harvey Oswald was spot seen riding in after leaving the book depository after Kennedy's assassination. And it's, an, a, fa- it's a fascinating listen to. It's part one of an ongoing conversation that we're going to have with Richard Bartholomew. And oh, that's he, awesome. And he also talks about why why he's so passionate about um, uh, the JFK assassination. That would be interesting to hear. Too. Yep. That's going to that's gonna be a good one. And he also... I've, got, I've I still got to finish listening to the um, to episode 95, the uh, the Ghost Chronicles one. Yes. Yeah, I, I started listening to it and then unfortunately I had to work. Oh, so. Work's always <laughs> getting in the way of your work. Okay, Jay. Yes. Thank you. For All right. Have a good show. one. Bye, pal. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. You can be a part of the Metaphysical Connection by subscribing to the Fedora Chronicles Network on Twitter through at Fedora Chronicle. There you will find jazz-era counterculture, vintage threads, lost history, conspiracies, the paranormal, and space news. You can also join our Facebook group at facebook.com groups The Metaphysical Connection. Both platforms are great ways to join our growing community, connect with other friends of the show, and find out what's coming up in next week's episode. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes, and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them, yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, and form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. This is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on.